0: As we open God's Word this morning, let me uh, let me ask a question of you, audience participation. Okay, how much storage space does your phone have? <laughs> Not enough. I had I was I was giving the message to the teachers this morning before the service, and one of the one of the teachers said, when I went from sixteen gigs to thirty two gigs, it changed. First world problems, right? Uh, 16 gigs, 32 gigs, how many? I, I have, I think, what? 64, man, you're the, you're the jealous of you. 128, my good, and it's full? What are you taking pictures of? My goodness. Um, my, I think, I don't know, I'm not a geek, uh, I, don't, I don't even know, I think my laptop uh, has 30 gigs of, storage space. That's a lot of storage. That's a lot of information, 128 is is a a lot of information. I read this week in a study, excuse me, from the University of California that each day Americans receive 34 gigs of information a day. That's a lot of information that we are processing. Another study says that on average, uh, each American uh, Per day gets about four to ten thousand uh, advertisements, just bombarding you. Now that's not just from TV, but that's pop-up ads, that's that's billboards that you drive by and don't see, uh, don't even take into account. But about through twenty-four hours, about four to ten thousand ads, about thirty-four gigs of information coming our way. So the question this morning is, Gosh, Pastor, why do we need one more message? More information coming our way. We're just bombarded with it. 24-hour news, pop-ups on our phones, information, information. Well, the Bible says, the Bible teaches us that we have a message that is different than all other 10,000 ads, all other information that comes our way. It's the most important message that we can not only hear, but be reminded of. To be reminded of that good news gospel message. And the Apostle Peter and the Apostle John and Peter as well are constantly in the New Testament saying, I want to remind you of the one piece of news that's most important. The thing that you can't forget, the thing that has to be at the the frontals of your brain every day that you wake up and as you go through life. This is the piece of information. This is the news that changes and puts into perspective all other news. The word gospel was actually used in the first century before it's used in our Bible. It was used in Roman uh, terms as as, uh, kingdoms would conquer other kingdoms. In that language of the day, the, the, the reigning commander would go back to the emperor and say, gospel, we've won a victory. And the emperor would send out a news message that said, gospel, good news, for our empire good news for our country and Jesus comes on the scene and says no I have good news here's the really good news and it's true and beautiful and good and life changing this morning we want to remind ourselves of some of that good news and we're in Romans chapter 8 Romans chapter 8 this morning and uh, as we make our way through the uh, book of Romans, which is constantly giving us good news. Here in Romans chapter 8, again, we find um, Paul reminding us of the hope we have, reminding us of who we truly are because of Christ. So the passage um, breaks down very simply, just like the title of the message this morning, but there's two main sections. Verses 14 through 17 talk about the spirit of adoption and verses 18 through 25 talk about the spirit of hope, okay? We'll talk about the Holy Spirit in just a second. But that's where we're going to be, verses 12 through 25 uh, this morning. There's an old hymn, I hope you know it. it's my probably one of my favorite hymns, uh, called Great is Thy Faithfulness. You know that? You remember singing that? Uh, We should sing that more often. Um, Great is thy faithfulness. But there's a line in that hymn that says, help for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Help for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Who among us uh, doesn't need some help for today? Who among us doesn't need some hope for tomorrow? And I think that's simply summed up. That's what this passage gives us this morning here in chapter 8. Help for today and hope for tomorrow. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we open up your word, we pray uh, that your Holy Spirit would do um, what a preacher cannot do, that uh, your Holy Spirit would confirm the truth in our hearts, would change us, would transform us into the image of Jesus, even as we read this and take it with us uh, for this week. God, would you remind us of this truly good news. In a world with so much information and so much messages, we'll just be at the front of our mind. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, read <clears throat> read along with me. First, I'm going to get a swig <clears throat> sort of the water here because my... Go ahead and follow along with me <clears throat> verses 12 through 17. Okay, we'll look there and then uh, talk a little bit. Verses 12 through 17. Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we we may also be glorified with Him. I said last week, I believe that the major character in Romans chapter 8, the major uh, person being highlighted in Romans chapter 8 is the person of the Holy Spirit, The third person of the Trinity uh, doesn't show up much in Romans until chapter 8. He's mentioned in chapter 5, but then in Romans chapter 8, over and over, the Holy Spirit is mentioned, I think by my count, 18 times in Romans chapter eight, he's the main character. As we, as I mentioned, the word Holy Spirit, there are kind of two extremes. I mentioned this last week when we think about the, whole, the Holy Spirit. There's, there's one kind of extreme that I will call on this side of things, kind of the, the the charismaniacs. I mean, these these are the people that are talking about the Holy Spirit all the time, and they want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And some of them think that that if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And some kind of ecstatic experience, like rolling and falling on the ground and and kind of a weird uh, experience, uh, exhibits that you, in fact, are a Christian and that you have the Holy Spirit in your life. I would call that an extreme position, charismaniacs. But what's also common in Christian circles and even in evangelical circles on the other extreme is what I might call charismutes. And, and, and that's the school of thought that is so turned off by that. Maybe they've seen it on TV. Maybe they've been part of a church that was like that. And they're just mute about the Holy Spirit. As uh, Spirit it used to be called Holy Ghost, it kind of freaks me out. Not sure what to do with that. So there's no mention of the Holy Spirit. There's no, there's no search to, to walk in tune with this person, the Holy Spirit, this, this God that indwells us, charismaniacs and charismutes. But as we read the Bible, and particularly in Romans 8, we have to to come to the awareness that the Holy Spirit is huge in walking with Christ. In fact, the Holy Spirit is indispensable in order to be able to live for Christ. And the Bible teaches right here in this chapter that if you don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you are not, in fact, a Christian. You're not, in fact, a Christian. That the Holy Spirit is indwelling and leading Verse fourteen says, "For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. He is leading us, so we we have to be in touch with the Holy Spirit. We have to seek the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> we have to try not to quench the Holy Spirit and be led by the Holy Spirit. Just, um, just in chapter eight, what is the Holy? How do we interact with the Holy Spirit? What does He do, and how do we I- interact with Him? Uh, these are just a list of things right here from chapter eight in Romans." That he is the spirit of life, verse 2. He sets us free from sin and death, uh, chapter 8, verse 2. Believers walk according to the spirit. Believers set their minds on the things of the spirit. The spirit is life and peace. The spirit indwells believers, verse 9. He is the spirit of God. He is the spirit of Christ. He is the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. The spirit gives life to our mortal bodies, verse 11. The spirit is the power by which we put sin to death. He leads God's children. Verse 14, he is the spirit of adoption. We'll talk about it in just a minute. The spirit confirms that we are God's children. Verse 16, the spirit is the first fruits of our salvation. Verse 23, he helps us in our weakness. Verse 26, I'll talk about that in a few weeks. He prays and intercedes for believers. Verses 26 and 27, we cannot follow Christ without thinking and being in tune with the Holy Spirit. And there's some Holy Spirit filled kids out there aren't there? Did you hear that? I heard that. Let's just call it, okay? <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is at work. If we know Christ. The Holy Spirit is at work with us, and that's not, uh, he is not someone to avoid. He is someone to push into and to receive for his power and his communion and his leading in our lives. He leads us, oftentimes in subtle ways, sometimes in very clear ways, but we can neither be a maniac nor a mute. One of the things uh, as we, where we want to focus this morning after verse 14, we're led by the Spirit. But uh, verses 15 through 17, one of the main emphases here in this passage that the Spirit does for us is He confirms our relationship with God and reminds us that we are children of God. Look at verse 15 and following with me again. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Then that should be familiar to you since we just sang it a few minutes ago. See how we did that? Um, you have received the spirit of adoptions by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit internally inside of us that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And this beautiful truth here, this beautiful truth that the Holy Spirit impresses upon our hearts as we are the children of God. The children of God the Father. Amazing. Now that may kind of fall on deaf ears here this morning because if you've been around church, you've heard that. That's not new to you. But think about the radical thought that this was, particularly in Jesus' day, as he prayed to the Father and taught his disciples to pray to the Father. See, Jews of the first century, uh, they often would not speak the name of God out of reverence. Uh, oftentimes, if the the Hebrew word Yahweh were, were being read in the temple, they, they would replace that word Yahweh with Adonai, or if the scribes were writing the word God, they would leave out some letters or even just leave a blank space where God's name was. the out of holiness and reverence for God. So for Jesus to come onto the scene and say, pray to God as your father was absolutely new and absolutely radical, and it should be radical to us. It should totally form and and reshape the way we think about our relationship with God because we are not just his creation, not just his servants, but his sons and daughters whom he loves. J.I. Packer is a theologian that I turn to often, and J.I. Packer says this in his uh, classic book, Knowing God, about our adoption. He says this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his whole outlook on life, he does not understand Christianity very well. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp Of adoption. Sons and daughters of the supreme ruler, creator of the world, calls us into his family, calls us sons and daughters. Timothy Keller says, uh, a king, a king late at night, asleep at night, a king cannot be bothered unless there's a, a war, a message that he needs to hear about. A king Cannot be bothered except in the middle line, except by a son or a daughter who needs his daddy. Keller goes on to say, We have that kind of access to God. God as our daddy. God to say, Father, I'm scared. I need your presence. Father, things feel out of control. Tell me it's going to be all right. That's the kind of access we have to God. Sons and daughters, dearly loved by God, our Father. The Apostle John. I love. I got to turn us to First John chapter three. I don't know if I put this on the screen or not. First John chapter three, uh, <clears throat> verses one uh, and two. John is is is. Here he, he's writing about our forgiveness and our relationship with God. And in chapter three, he just kind of burst out into praise and he says, see what kind of love the father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that, is that it did not know him. Verse two, beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has, has not yet appeared. But when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is he breaks out in this praise. How great is the love of the Father that, he, that we should be called sons and daughters of God and that is what we are. You know, it's human nature. It's just natural to think that if there's a God, just kind of reason naturally, if there's a God, then I should try to find him. I should look for him. I should seek him. But what's not natural is that God, that same God, would seek us, would come down to us. It's, na- it's natural that, hey, if there's a God, then I should probably serve him. I, I should probably worship him. But God one-ups that by saying, not only should you serve and worship me, but I invite you into my family. Wow. 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 Been thinking a lot uh, over the past week, two weeks about so many among our family. We had a, quite a graduating class of seniors this year, uh, and many have taken their their kids off and dropped them off at college. And I and I've been thinking about that as a parent, you know. I'm thinking, okay, man, we're this blink, you know. Here it goes, ten years from now, I'm going to be taking my oldest and dropping them off to college, you know. And and that's right, that's good. I mean, I I want that to happen. There, he he will get an eviction notice. At 18, we will take him. But as I'm thinking about that and just how hard that is gonna be 10 years from now, and thinking about some of you and the struggle, the way that, just the dynamic that is, and I think about why is that so hard? Why is that such a pivotal uh, time in life? And some of you are tearing up right now as I describe it, you're, you're thinking about it. But is, is, is it because they're 18? Is it because they, they got into college? Is it because their grades were good? Is it because they, they chose the right school? Is that why it is? No. It's because they're your children. And you love them because you love them. The Bible says in, in Deuteronomy, God is telling Moses before, as Israel goes back into the land, he's reminding them of his faithfulness. In Deuteronomy chapter 70, he says, I, I, I don't love you. I didn't choose you because you're great. I didn't choose you because you're more numerous than all the other nations. I didn't choose you. God, he didn't choose Israel because they were more holy than other people or they happened to be the the good apple. He says, I chose you and I loved you as my children because I chose to love you as my children. You're mine. God loves us as children. And it's not always right to kind of... Uh, reason up from human to God, and sometimes we can get in error on that. But God loves us as a father loves his children. A good father. That should totally just set and reset and, and frame the way we think about God. And all involved in that, there's more than this, but there's a security in that. There's an intimacy in that. There's a protection in that. He doesn't uh, wish his children harm. He doesn't wish them ill. And sometimes you know, we've, all, we've all had that experience, you know, when you take your kids and they to the doctor and they, they need that shot or something and they always make the dad hold the kid down. It's like, I'm not, you know, the kid looks at you in panic. Like, what are you doing this for? I, I thought we were friends. You know, come on, dad, help me. And you know that even you, you're, you're allowing that pain ultimately for their good. And even when there's pain in our lives, it's coming through the hands of a good and loving father, not just a creator, but a father. And the Holy Spirit is put in our lives, in our hearts to confirm, hey, you're a son. You're, you're a son and daughter of God. And you're the apple of my eye. Come to me when you're overwhelmed. Come to me when you're scared. Are you overwhelmed this morning? You're also a son of God. Are you worried this morning? Are you fearful? You're also a son or daughter of God. Are you an engineer? Are you a teacher? You're also a son or daughter of God. Man, that is radical, that is heart-transforming if it really presses in to our inner being. One other thing about being children of God, if we're all children of God, that makes us brothers and sisters, right? Think about how radical this letter is right here. Here's a Jewish guy writing to Roman people. Here's a Jew of a Jew writing to a Roman and saying, because of Jesus, because of the love of the Father, we're now brothers and sisters. Here's a dark-skinned guy writing predominantly white-skinned people and saying, because of God, we are now brothers and sisters. Man, our nation is being ripped apart what if the church, what if Centennial Church could be a place where unity is observed because of Jesus and because of the unity that we have by the common spirit that indwells us? The world can't get this right, but what if as a, what if as a body we could come together, and this, this is mostly white people in here this morning, But but what if we began to love people of other colors so that the world could see this little microcosm of what the kingdom is supposed to look like? Because those that place their faith in Jesus, if they become sons of God, we become brothers and sisters with one another. And we can show the unity to the world that the world can't figure out right now. I want so much for our church family to be a blended family of Caucasians, of Indians, of African-Americans, of Hispanics. Do you have that heart for brothers and sisters? Do you have that heart for other image bearers? Man, I pray that God would do something special in this body, that no matter who walks through these doors, they sense the unity of the spirit, of the bond of peace, because we realize we share a common thought. We are sons and daughters of God. And he transitions here in uh, verse 17 to verse 18. He puts this qualifier on here. Heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also, excuse me, in order that we may also be glorified with him. All of a sudden, uh, we like that, that child part, but now he brings up that suffering part. And part of following God is following his son in suffering and then glory. We like the sonship, we like the glory, but Christ, as our example, suffered first and was then glorified. Death and then resurrection. And we not only need the spirit of God to remind us that we're children, we also need the spirit of God to give us hope in this broken world. He goes on in verses 18 uh, through 25 to talk about of the children of God, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the birth of in, in the pains of childbirth until now. Let's stop right there. What is he saying? What is Paul getting now? you see, this link here between creation and humanity. And if you remember back at the beginning of our Bibles in Genesis 1 and 2, everything was perfect and creation was perfect. God had placed. Uh, Adam and Eve in this perfect environment, this perfect world where where they were to work together and they were to have dominion over the earth. They were to rule and cultivate this perfect world. There was a management and a stewardship that they were given. But the Bible says in Genesis 3, as they turned their backs on God, as they sought independence from God, that not only created this huge crack between man and wife and between man and and woman and their, their relationship with God, not only this crack between them And not only this crack between them and God, but this crack in creation itself. And because man and and wife were at the top of the food food chain, the crack caused at the the top of that pyramid just echoes down to all of creation. So today, we have Hurricane Harvey. That creation is in travail and and it's groaning. and, And yesterday, I had to spend an hour picking weeds out of my flower bed because for some reason they grow really fast but the one tree that I have in my front yard looks like it's turning brown. Why is that? Because that's what sin has done not only in our hearts and our relationships horizontally but even with the creation that God put us in dominion over. So the words here, if you look at the words beginning of verse 19 describing creation. The creation is waiting. Verse 20, the creation was subjected to futility. It just seems futile. The experience of creation, sometimes the futility of life. What's the futility in life? If you're a mom or a stay-at-home dad or whatever, here's futility. Futility is trying to pick up those socks and put them back, and then just an hour later, They're out again, and you're just picking up toys. It just seems futile. It's just a a circle that never ends, right? There's this futility to creation. There's this groaning. There's this being subjected in hope. Look at verse 21. Hoping to be set free from its bondage to corruption. There's this downward spin as, as things move from peace to corruption. And verse 22, the whole creation has been groaning groaning. Dictionary.com, this uh, definition of groaning. Groan is a deep, inarticulate sound uttered in derision, disapproval, or desire. A groan is a deep, grating, or creaking sound due to a sudden or continued overburdening as with a great weight. Creation is groaning. Creation is subjected to the futility of this broken world. And not only the creation, but look at verse twenty-three. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemptions of our the redemption of our bodies. For in this we for in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what well we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Creation groans, but not only this broken creation, but our broken selves. Verse twenty-three: We ourselves groan inwardly. We have the first fruits of the spirit. What's this idea of first fruits? The idea of a harvest, and you get that first, that first fruit, right? The first of the crops that that, shed, that says more's coming, but this is the first fruits. We have the first fruits of the spirit. But still, with the Holy Spirit inside inside of us, we've grown, and verse 23 says, as we eagerly wait for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Wait a second. Time out, Ross. I thought we we were already adopted. I thought Romans chapter 3 said that we were redeemed, that Jesus had redeemed us. So what's going on here? Why is it that there's this tension between having the first fruits but not having the full harvest? Why is it that we're still awaiting adoption and redemption? What's going on here? Well, we are both saved and not yet saved. This is what theologians call the tension between the already and the not yet. We are saved. We have the deposit of the Holy Spirit, but we are still awaiting our full redemption and the kingdom, the perfect kingdom that God is recreating. So we're in this tension of the already and the not yet. A friend earlier was uh, talking to me and said, you know, I, the way I explain this is is like when I was a little girl and I went to go adopt uh, a little puppy. And I went to the puppy store and I picked out that puppy that I wanted. And they marked its ear, they put a certain color on its, in its ear, and we paid for the puppy. But I couldn't take the puppy home because the puppy wasn't yet ready to go home. So I had to go home without my puppy and wait. How awful is that for a kid? You've adopted this puppy, but you can't bring it home. And that's kind of the tension that's being explained here by Paul. We've been adopted, but we are not yet home. We are waiting. We are marked by God, but there is still this groaning in us that is awaiting our full adoption and the kingdom that is to come. You ever just had you ever had your car and just kind of something's off on it, and you just hear kind of this knocking? Some some just kind of weird noise, and it's just knocking, and 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 sometimes, if you're like me, you just kind of put it out of your mind, but that knock is constantly telling you something is wrong here, right? Take this in, get this checked out. And Romans chapter eight is telling us that there's this knocking in our engine. There's this groaning that says something is wrong. And brothers and sisters, the dissatisfaction that you feel in this life, the hunger for more, the groaning, the pain, is not indication that something is wrong with you. It's actually an indication that something is right in you. That you long for more. That God is telling you by his spirit you were made for more. C.S. Lewis says it like this. C.S. Lewis says, There are in fact in me hunger pains. And that indicates that there is this reality out there called food, and that I desperately want it. There are also in us sexual desires, and it it points to the fact that there is this thing that meets those sexual desires. Now, just because I'm hungry doesn't mean I'm going to get the lunch that I want this afternoon, okay? But what it does indicate is there is such thing as food that will fulfill that desire. And Lewis goes on to say that if there is this desire in you, if there is this groaning inside you, it indicates perhaps that you were made for something more. That you cannot be deeply satisfied. In fact, as a believer, sometimes you will be deeply dissatisfied here because you weren't made for this home. You were made for the home that God is preparing the kingdom to come. That groaning is not indication that there's just something wrong with you. That groaning is an indication that there is something right in you, and you await that perfection to come. So in verse 18, Paul can make this audacious claim. In verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present world, of this present time, excuse me, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. anything that we're going through right now cannot even be compared to the glory that will be ours when God comes for us again I said last week this chapter starts with no condemnation, it ends with no separation and in verse 18 it says there is no comparison no comparison between what we face right now and what God is preparing for us in the future What is happening to us pales in comparison to what God is preparing for us. What is happening to us pales in comparison to what God is preparing for us. I sent this passage um, to a friend this week who has really been going through a difficult season. And I sent the passage uh, to my friend with trepidation because I never want to be one of those guys. I never want to be one of those Christians that kind of sends people scripture that kind of feels like you're saying, put this Band-Aid on it, you know, Romans 8:28, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But I want to be sensitive to pain and ache. And when I talked to my friend, I said, did that passage that I sent you, did that discourage you or did that encourage you? My friend says, it encouraged me greatly. And we talked about how if we don't have this hope, if we don't have the Spirit of God impressing upon us that we are children of God, and we don't have the Spirit of God reminding us that there is a kingdom to come, then we are, in fact, hopeless. And we talked about how one of the greatest words in the English language, maybe one of the greatest words in the Bible, is that four-letter word, The good news, the message that we have this morning that should just obliterate all other messages in importance is that God has loved us, made us sons and daughters, and is coming back for us to take us to a perfect kingdom where there there will be no more pain, no more groaning, and we will be in fellowship with Him. That is good news. No Jew in Jesus' day would have prayed, God, my Father. No Muslim today will pray, God, my Father. Eastern religions don't teach about a heaven or a kingdom to come. They talk about being sucked in to the energy life force that is the one reality of the world and becoming a part of that energy. But there's no relationship, there's no fatherhood, and there's no kingdom to come. Beautiful news for you and me that have put our trust in Jesus, that we're sons and daughters of God. And we've grown, because in reality, there's something more. He has promised it. He is coming again in heaven. The song that we're going to conclude with this morning that we sang just a little bit ago, it says that we're surrounded by the arms of a father. It says, you rescued me so that I could stand and sing. I am a child of God. And I want to invite you now to stand with me as I pray and that we can sing back to our good, good father that we are his children. Would you pray with me? Father God, uh, forgive me for being so numbed so often that you love me as a good father God thank you for rescuing me from myself, from my sin, from my rebellion and for adopting me into your family thank you for not loving me in words but loving me in actions through Jesus who loved me so much that you for me and thank you God that And what seems often in this world like an experience of a death, resurrection awaits us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit.